Classroom Critics Podcast. My name is Bill Ivers. I'm joined today once again by Andrew Martino. We are on the campus of Southern New Hampshire University. And uh, so I'm going to talk about a uh, film called The Third Man. And um, Peter Bogdanovich once called this the greatest non-auteur film ever made. Um, talk about that in a little bit. But it's a film directed by Carol Reed. Um Starring uh, Joseph Cotton, Orson Welles, Trevor Howard, um, cinematography by Robert Kasker, and it's a, uh, a British film distributed by British Lion Film Corporation and uh, distributed in America by none other than David O. Selznick, who perhaps we'll get to at some point. So, um, so I think this is one of the more unique films. I think that you can... Uh, Discuss when you think about think about some of the, the great classics, like an, uh, an often overlooked film. And um, you know, what, 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 did, is this a, a recent uh, a film that you've recently become accustomed to, or is it something that goes back in your film? No, I, I, I remember watching it. Um, I think in my late teens, the first time I saw it. That early, huh? Early twenties or late teens. I can't mm-hmm. I can't recall now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I went through a you know I discovered Orson Welles really early. Uh, so his films really early, uh, and then I was watching a lot of his uh, as many of his films as I could find. This one was one of the more accessible ones. Mm-hmm. So this is one of yeah. I think Citizen Kane was the first one I saw. This was probably the second one. Mm-hmm. I remember going to my public library, and they had a copy in uh, an old VHS. Film, yeah, uh-huh. uh, and, and that's when I first saw it, and right. I just uh, completely loved it. I loved the music and 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 the the atmosphere of it and the, the last scenes in the sewer it was, uh, it was one of those films that was really a lot of fun to watch. Absolutely. Um, yeah. and I took it really seriously and I was watching it very intently. I remember as a, as, as quite a young man. And, yeah. and I thought this, this means something, this uh, film. Uh, yeah. I too came to it through, uh, through Wells, you know, after, uh, a little bit later than you, I, I was in college and, uh, I was going, you know, devouring Wells's uh, films and, of course, you know uh, this often comes up when you talk about Wells as a as an actor, as, yeah. a, as a performer, and uh, so yeah, immediately I was I was struck by its its quirkiness. Uh, it's it's it, it feels differently um, than a lot of films from this period. Yeah, but um, yeah, let's 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 talk a bit about uh, you know for me one thing that makes this film uh, extremely unique is uh, I think you know it's it's very idiosyncratic. Yeah, you know, on many levels, it's a it's a British noir film, right? So it's often categorized as a noir yeah. classic. Yet you have Hollywood stars uh, playing with basically an international cast, uh, filmed on location in Vienna. Yeah. Um, some of it was filmed on a soundstage, but you know, from what I've read, um, Carol Reed did have to fight for its, uh, you know, for the on location yeah. shooting uh, fought. Selznick, uh, David yeah. Selznick, uh, who you know was, you know, Mister Soundstage. You yeah. know, let's let's build Vienna, kind of thing. But he, much cheaper to build Vienna. Than, yes, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it just it, it contains such a like a very surreal atmosphere that you know must have obviously has to do with this you know filming in the city that yeah you know it just it just been you know devastated because yeah. of the war and um, you know you have actual bomb craters and, and rubble. Everywhere, and you know, you know, you know, from the angles, which we'll get to when we talk about camera work. But of course, you already mentioned the the score. You know, yes, yeah. that's, that's the icing on the cake. And I just, I can't imagine this movie, uh, you know, just having any other, you know, like a typical classical score. Just, uh, you know, the the zither, uh, right? right? The zither, yeah. Inside. And from what I've read, uh, Carol Reed, I think it was Carol Reed who who came across this uh, local zither player yeah. in a uh, a bar and just said. That's it. We got to have this guy, and um, you know, just like a gener- generic classical score would have just, 
wouldn't, I don't think it would have ruined the movie, but you know, it's just one of many decisions that go into it. That made I it think important. the score is just as important as the actors mm-hmm. for this film. It's like the theme from The Godfather. You know, mm-hmm. it's completely identifiable with this particular film. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 you're right. It, it, there's no more. I can think of no more perfect score than than what was done for this film. Mm-hmm. It adds the atmosphere, and there's there's a lightheartedness also yeah. to 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 the score that uh, you know it's. I don't want to say it's hopeful, but there's something. It's it doesn't. It's not quite as dark as the film is, but but somehow it works. It does. Yeah. It, it, I I think it's a, almost like a like a tongue in cheek thing. Yeah. In a sense, it's 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 quirky. It's uh, again, I, I just I keep going back to the word. Um, it's it's idiosyncratic. Yeah. It's it's just it's. It's not. It's not a. An accompan- it's not accompanied by anything else. It's, right. it's just the solo instrument there. And I think if it, it, you're quite right, if they had done a, a traditional score with an orchestra, um, it might have been. It might have felt overproduced. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rush, uh, not rushed, but it might have felt you know too formulaic, mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, and it could have easily been a dark sort of uh, mm-hmm. score, but mm-hmm. uh, this somehow uh, it, it just works. It does. And uh, so we have the central character played by Joseph Cotton, uh, a brilliant casting choice, I think. Uh, the um, you know Holly Martin's yeah. the character's name, um, an alcoholic uh, author of pulp westerns, which is, uh, I think, is a great part of his characterization because um, he's it's, it's somewhat of a fish out of water. So yeah. on the one hand, you know, and I can't think of any uh, actor who just sort of conveys that uh, American. Uh, naivete yeah. and, and being a uh, he, he's not a uh, a great author he's yeah. not someone who is you know has pretensions of, of great uh, literary merit he's he writes pulp yeah. uh, westerns and uh, he comes on this invitation of an old college uh, friend Harry Lyme but um, you know just this film just opens up just it just really sucks you in right away because uh, it's it's not long after the film you realize the the man he's come to see is uh, is, is dead, yeah, or, or apparently dead, and he's. Uh, we have a funeral scene at the very beginning. He's being buried as, as he arrives in us uh, of Vienna, and um, yeah, and then he, this, this, he goes down this rabbit yeah. hole. It's like a bad dream, and it gets stranger and stranger as he as he goes down. I think one of the great things about this film is the fact that you know Holly Martin's is not a hero. He's not heroic in any no. sense of of the term, and but yet. He keeps he keeps pursuing things that you know. It would have been much better if he had taken the money and and had gone home like he was advised to at mm-hmm. the beginning of the film. But there's something about him that that won't let go. He wants to get to the bottom of this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's very American. Mm-hmm. I think that when Graham Greene was writing this uh, this particular screenplay, he had that in mind about mm-hmm. this particular type of character. Yeah, it's yeah. a very Graham Greene character. It's it's almost a stock character for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and Joseph Cotton, as you said, I think fills the role perfectly. Yeah, uh, as a matter of fact, it's a shame that that Wells is so good in the film that Harry Lyme overshadows, uh, or Orson Welles' portrayal of of Harry Lyme overshadows Joseph Cotton's yes. portrayal of Holly Martin because it's really a great. It's a great performance by right. Joseph Cotton. I, I think Joseph Cotton is a very unique actor um, because he, I think, throughout his career, was a character actor that was often used as a leading man. Yeah. Uh, so in other words, I don't think he was used properly throughout his career. He, he was almost, tr- uh, I think directors or producers, whoever made these decisions, often tried to pigeonhole him yeah. into um, leading man characters where, where I think he was... Um, kind of a character actor, so yeah. there is that off-putting um, quality that I think he has as a leading, as a leading man, and um, yeah, he, he plays uh, just this this character who is uh, once again he's he's a, he's a fish out of water, and he's he's trying to un- um, unpack this riddle, trying to solve this riddle, and it, it just gets more complicated going forward. So, you know, how did Harry Lyme really die? Um, becomes his question. He, yeah, there are details uh, or, or things that don't jive with the people's account of what happens to Harry that, that you know, gets them a bit suspicious. I, I think uh, one of the, one of the things for me that I really like is, is, is when, when Calloway says, don't turn this into one of your dime novels, yeah. but yet he can't help but turning things into narrative. That's right. Uh, and he sees it as a yeah. story and, and all of a sudden he places himself in the role of hero. 
Yeah. Um, so it's a way for him to really play an active role in life. Sure. Where you get this set, at least I do, the sad sense that this is a person who's, you know, he's not a very famous writer. He eeks out a living and, mm-hmm. and he probably has a small cult following. But there's something sad about him. Definitely. Um, I mean, he seems to be an alcoholic. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. We, we have evidence of that. And, you know, and, and originally we think that the uh, it's a case where the, the police are, are corrupt or villainous and, yeah. and but it turns you know it turns out that they were right to begin with right yeah. so you have uh, you know towards the beginning Callaway you know the British officer in charge he basically says that you know Lyme is evil yeah uh, he advises Holly just to go away don't have anything to do with this uh, Holly gets insulted and uh, you know the viewer at the start is sort of like you know we're made. We're sort of fooled into thinking yeah. that okay, um, Martin's good man. The police, the cops, the law enforcement are corrupt. So it's a wonderful piece of manipulation on the part of uh, of Carol Reed mm-hmm. to to force uh, to force us into thinking yeah. that Holly Martin is on to something. And, and right. you know, yeah, and that's uh, that's classic noir, right? Yeah. Um, e- even though this is, I mean, we often associate noir with with you know, American filmmaking, yeah, right. uh, at least in the stereotypical uh, way of thinking about it. But this is, uh, it's, but I think a lot of the American um, noir uh, conventions are seen in this, you know, for yeah. example, you know, who's who's good, who's bad, right. is it a question of good or bad, there's ambiguity in all the characters, no one really comes out of this yeah. looking uh, heroic, really, and, and um, so it's, it's, it's off-putting and almost... Every way. It, it, and it also reinforces that stereotype that we talked about with, with Casablanca uh, about the lone American. You know, the American's going to go alone. Yes. Uh, and, yep. and this film makes it a little bit more complicated in the fact that we have Holly Martins who goes it alone um, and, and, you know, does the right thing at the end, I suppose, even though it's very difficult. But then we also have the American in Harry Lyme who's a cold-blooded killer. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, really, there's no <laughs> other way about it. It's interesting too. I mean, when I think of Holly Martin's, I, I think of um, you know. I, you say to yourself, okay, his um, I don't want to call it stubbornness or um, callousness, naivete, whatever you want to call it. Uh, if you think about it, that delay of him sort of doing the right thing, yeah, uh, ends up being uh, the cause of. De- of, of two two deaths that I can think of, right? Yeah. I mean, well, three, including Harry's. Yeah. Um, you have the porter yep. who dies, right? That's right. right. Um, you have the sidekick there. His name escapes me. Yeah. Uh, the police officer who's, yeah. who's with, um, with Callaway. It didn't yeah. have to come to that. Yeah. Um, so there's wreckage uh, that, that is left behind. That isn't necessarily, uh, you, you can trace it back to Harry Lyme, but it isn't necessarily Harry Lyme's fault. It's, it's sort of all of these circumstances that, sure. that fit into place. Right. And it's, it's his, um, it's Martin's delay in yeah. wanting to, uh, not being sure whether or not he should betray, in his mind, betray his friend or do, do what's right. So there's that, that, that moral dilemma. Um, I don't know, where, where do you think he makes that switch? You know, he, he obviously doesn't believe at first um, that, you know, this could, this, this is Harry, that Harry's uh, was a corrupt man, was an yeah. evil man, but then eventually he, he buys into it. Um, I think the further he, he becomes involved with Anna, the, the more he, he begins to see the truth. Uh-huh. And yeah. this is really where he starts to stand up for himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, it starts as... You know, as soon as he meets her, he's, he, you know, which is right at the beginning of the film, he sees her mm-hmm. and he's captivated by her. But it's it's that lure of, of something attractive for him mm-hmm. that would give him purpose. Mm-hmm. So the narrative that he builds around her really is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he has to go through Harry Lyme to get her, mm-hmm. I think. That's right. And, right. and, and in order to do that, that's, you know, he, he wants to show her that he's a hero, even though he admits uh, somewhere in the middle of the film, I'm, I'm just a boy who's, you know, interested in a girl or something to yeah. that effect. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's right. So, and, and then, of course, when Calloway shows him the film, yeah. um, the, the evidence is, is quite clear. Right. There's right. no denying it. Yeah. And she's kind of a loathsome character, if you think about it, because she is still hanging on to him. Yeah. Um, still loves him and, and death and well, well, what 
is a, apparently his death, but then, you know, she still seems to have feelings for him, yeah. uh, re, you know, just despite what he is. Um, and he's not just a, an ordinary criminal. He's, right. he's, he's of the lowest sort, you know, because I think that's one real shift in uh, Martin's character when he goes to the hospital. Yeah. And he sees, uh, I mean, if you think about it, in terms of the writing, it wasn't enough to make uh, Harry Lyme just a, a criminal. He has, he's a criminal who um, basically profits on death. Yeah. He profit. He, he is um, basically uh, stealing, yeah. um, watering down. What was it? The penicillin. The penicillin. Yeah. I mean, jeez. I mean, and so it ultimately ends up um, killing yeah. scores of... In post-war Europe, where post, it's already yeah. hard to get penicillin anyway. Right, right. And there, there's a scene in the in the, in the the beginning when, when Martin says, all right, so maybe he is a criminal, but what's the big deal? He steals petrol or tires or something. Yeah, he yeah. deals with them on the black market. Yeah. And, and Callaway kind of dismisses him. And, uh, That's right. You know, there's that sort of... British, uh, these Americans don't know, don't know what they're talking about. They come in like cowboys and, and, you know, yeah. the real work is for the investigators. Yeah. So his aloofness is, I, I don't if you want to call it, it's, it's probably, uh, again, naivete. It's yeah. what are you going to call it? You know, it, 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 it ultimately delays, uh, justice, um, and ends up, you know, in, in death for, um, couple characters and who knows you know it perhaps see that scene in the hospital really i think is is pretty effective you it can is just, you can see it in the performance that he's seeing uh you know this these these kids okay this is this is what harry's doing and it's it's children it's you know and yeah. we always feel worse when it's children involved and it's yeah. you know there's, there's that sense of uh wow okay so if he killed a couple of men, so what? But you know, when kids are involved, it's uh, yeah. We see how reprehensible he is. Absolutely. So that's 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 good writing right there. Yeah. And 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 Martin's knew this from the beginning when he when he talks about Harry Lyme stealing his girlfriends mm -hmm. in college, and, and this was a person who is you know probably a little bit spoiled and and is used to having his way and is a very good talker mm -hmm. and true to Orson Welles's performance, he's in in a major way a magician. Mm -hmm. He's he makes himself disappear and, and reappear at will, mm -hmm. um, and you know he helps Anna get a passport. Um, you know, there's real magic to that. Absolutely. It makes you, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's very true. You wonder how moral, uh, Holly is to yeah. begin with. Uh, he is a friend of Harry Lyme and it's, you, you can't think that Harry Lyme just suddenly moved to Europe and right. it became, he had to have been pretty, pretty shady. Yeah. Uh, before, uh, maybe not to this level. Maybe he just really descended into darkness, but or saw the opportunity to do something to to capitalize yes, on. But I'm sure he was involved in shady events, yeah. shady events beforehand. And um, so, yet yeah, perhaps it's it's his charm, it's his charisma, and it just it makes you. I mean, isn't that how it is in in, in real yeah. life? You know, I mean, sometimes people people's uh, lack of morality is often overlooked or forgiven based on charisma. Yeah, and um, you see it in politics. You, you see it. In, you see it everywhere in business. Uh, yeah, um, charisma almost counts more than 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 yeah. anything else. Unfortunately, um, yeah. we are we tend to forgive charismatic people. Yeah, uh, for right. things. But you know, this is this is also a story about friendship. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, how far are we willing to? to go with our friends uh, right. to cover up for them or yeah. to excuse bad behavior. And, right. and, and even if you don't excuse it, I go back and forth on this myself is, is Harry Lott, uh, is Harry Lott, is Holly Martin's a, a true friend at the end? Would the true friend really have helped him escape yeah. rather than, than bringing him to justice? You know, there's this, yeah. there's something that I, and I can't quite put my finger on it, but it disturbs me about that. Some of those last scenes that Holly decides to, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to get Harry, yeah. um, and I'm going to be on the other side. And and I don't think it's necessarily for the right reasons. I still think that there's something in me that says he's doing it all for for Anna. He's playing that role of hero. Um, perhaps you can say that it's revenge. Yeah. Um, to get at Anna. Um, perhaps he feels that there's no way that she could. I'm not sure how secure he feels and um, her feelings toward him. Yeah. So maybe he believes that okay, I'm not. She's not going to love me. She's, yeah. She, you know, she's an, uh, enamored with Harry. 
So, for, I mean, perhaps you can theorize that maybe him taking down Harry was some um, maybe revenge is a, a, a poor choice of words. But, but I think it does work, and and almost in in a way, it it, it makes him into a bad guy. Uh, in an attractive sort of way, that Harry is this sort of adventurer, bad guy that, you know, that 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 is somehow attractive. He's very charismatic. It's clear to me in the film that Holly Martins has no idea how to act with women. Um, he doesn't know how to be charming. He's much more of an older brother figure. Yeah, it seems to me. Definitely. And but but yet, this is his chance to do something, yeah. unexpected. Yeah, and maybe that's attractive. Or maybe he thinks that will be attractive sure. to to Anna. And to this is his way because he's a very passive character for yeah. a lot of the movie, right? So exactly. I think that's the word I was looking for: passive. And yeah. uh, passiveness often is it can be destructive, you know. And uh, and he's definitely the polar opposite of um, of Harry Lyme, who, who makes things happen. And that's right. It's evil I mean, for the most part, but he's someone who is a doer, and uh, yeah. he's always in motion. But um, it seems like uh, Holly just. It's a drifter, you know. Um, so I think you're absolutely correct. I think that's the perfect way to categorize him as, as a drifter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even his his liking of Zane Grey, you know, Zane Grey, the, the the Western novelist, is you know, is somebody who kind of drifted in his own life. Yeah. In right. A way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so did Graham Greene, for that matter. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, drifting in and out of love affairs, in and out of drinking, and, and you know, sure. his Catholicism, and um, maybe perhaps writing is a kind of drifting. You know, you drift yeah. from narrative to narrative, and yeah. it's it's an acceptable drifting. Yeah. It's you know, we can kill people in novels as writers, but you know, we know that it's you yeah. know, morally wrong sure. to to kill people in real life. So if, if I can't kill somebody, I'll. I write about it, and that's right. acceptable. That's, yeah, that's that's. Yeah, I was thinking that too. That um, writers are often observers. Yeah, you know, um, just sort of playing the role of the camera and taking things exactly in. right. And uh, you know, in whatever they, whatever forward motion they often exhibit is often through their stories. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I think when you ask the question, how are we supposed to feel about about Mars? I, I think the, just the ambiguity is, yeah. is exactly what. Carol Reed was going for, and I think yeah. he, he really, he really succeeded. Because, he does. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know whether to love or hate him. Um, even at, even at the end, which I guess we can talk about the, the final scene eventually, because I think it's a, it's I think one of the most striking final oh, yeah. moments in film. But um, let's let's get to uh, you know I I think it's very interesting. Getting back to Peter Bogdanovich, he um, he relayed a story. Uh, but Orson Welles talking about his character of Harry Lyme and, and Orson Welles, and I've actually heard him in a couple interviews say that Harry Lyme was the greatest character he had ever played um, in any film. Yeah. Uh, and he's the perfect, as he called it, the, uh, a perfect star's part. Uh, the type of part, he, he relayed the story, um, uh, you know, like a, a, a play where you have these characters talking about a, you know, the character he talked about in his example was Mr. Wu. You know, you have these yeah. these characters you know, talking about, you know, what what is Mr. Wu going to say when he gets here? Ooh, wait till Mr. Wu comes and, and he tells us what he thinks. And so for about an hour, you know, I have everyone talking about this guy. And then suddenly the character sort of like before the, the, the first act ends, you know, this lone figure in the back yeah. sort of walks on the stage and says nothing and then the curtain falls and then everyone in intermission is talking about how what yeah. a great performance that was you know <laughs> he's already built up in our minds to yes. such a degree yeah right so you know this i mean how, how far into the film is it maybe uh, i didn't look but it's got to be a good 45 minutes 45 yeah. 50 minutes yeah. i would say and um just a, a brilliant i can't think of a better entrance no. into a film you know it's just it's perfect and it has you know the uh the zither play uh, yeah. playing, and then you have the uh, again. It's just it's a it's a very quirky entrance, but it, it's just so striking. You know, you have the the the, the cat, right? yeah, uh, crossing the uh, and, and rubbing sidewalk. up against him, yeah, yeah, against his shin, and suddenly you have uh, you know a light come on in a very noir, yeah, um, you know, just a, a light pouring down from an apartment above and. You see Harry Lyme looking up with that that grin, that grin. That's, I think it's one of the greatest scenes in cinematic history. Yeah, oh, yeah it's it's almost accidental. It's so good that you couldn't plan for something like that. I know they did, but it's it, yeah. it's just it's something that if you remember any scene in the film, it's it's oh, that's one of them. I mean, think of what it would what that scene could have been in um, 
lesser hands, yeah. you know, in terms of even the, you know whether it's the director or, yeah. or Wells himself. You know, it could have been just this this corny moment where yeah. you have, the, I mean, the light going on in a very dramatic way, and maybe the the score if it, if, if it was a typical score, yeah. just being like a you know dun dun dun, and then suddenly you have maybe a, a lesser of an actor who who makes a, a horrible choice of just having like this stern. It would have like, been farce. Yeah, right. Um, but instead, it, it, the I mean, what do you think? What do you think his smirk or grin communicates? I think it's, you know, it, it's this almost self-righteous attitude mm-hmm. that I have one over on you. And, you know, <laughs> I'm smarter than you are. All right. And, you know, because obviously he had planned for Martin to, to arrive when he did. And all of this was, was planned out. Yep, um, yep, and, yep. you know, it's that as, as Harry Lyme is, is continually being built up in our imagination uh, when we see him, he's this really likable guy. He's definitely, just, you know, that smile is just, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, as you said, it's, it's that it's, it's a perfect part. It is. I mean, imagine someone else, I mean, without the, the charisma and charm yeah. of Orson Welles himself being cast in right. that role and, and just, it just wouldn't have, it wouldn't and it have wouldn't have worked in color. I don't too. think it would have no. worked in color. Nope. Nope. Uh, it has to be black and white. Yeah. Yeah. And because there is a gravity to him, to, to the entire scene as well. Yeah. And I think that the gravity almost gets played out or, 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 or ignored because it's, you know, it's that moment we've been waiting for yeah. That's right. and it comes and we know it's there because we know that the cat is just, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's not like it's complete surprise. Yeah. That's right. Um, but there is a, there is a gravity there. Yeah. It's, it, there's a very serious tone that that's, uh, almost underneath the, the film definitely you know we, we've talked about the with the penicillin and, and the children and and all of that that's even the way that that harry treats anna yeah um, he's willing to sacrifice her absolutely uh, and yeah. his friends and that's right. you know again i think that this is at least in, in hollywood and in literature it's it's that typical american attitude of i'm going to go my own way yeah you know it goes back to to the natty bumpo character you know um, right. with cooper and and right. somehow we're the frontiersmen and we right. don't need anyone else. Right. Right. right, exactly. Yeah, and um, yeah, I, Wells. Um, yeah, again, he said this is the, the the best party he had ever had. And uh, Harry Lyme is a he's a recurring character. Yeah. as it turns out, right? I don't. I'm I'm not sure if Harry Lyme predates this film, or it, I know there was uh, a, a series. You know, what, well, the series came after this. Came after, yeah. So it, and this was this was the the debut, and then uh, Wells took him up again in in the radio plays, which yeah. are just terrific. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have them on cassette tape. Of course, yeah. you can't find a player any longer. <laughs> you can get. I'm, um, I'm sure you can get it online. Yeah, yeah. And, but they're terrific. Yeah. You know, the old radio plays. Definitely. Yeah, it, it, Wells did say that this was the height of his fame. If you yeah. can imagine, he said that uh, at least in Europe, he said uh, that character of Harry Lyme was so, uh, you know, was so popular that. Yeah. Uh, the closest he got to uh, being a, a mega mega A list star yeah. at any point in his career was was this. He said he would walk into restaurants and and the person the musician would start playing the Harry Lyme yeah. theme and people would uh, you know would identify him instantly with that character. So, um, but yeah. true to Wells form, he sabotages it you know almost immediately after. I know um, with his career, and he could have gone on to star in probably some big, really oh, yeah. big films, and he would have had maybe a much different career. Absolutely. He, he didn't say that. He made that yeah. comment. He said, I could have, uh, this really was a, uh, an open door for me. Yeah. But he just kept going back to his, his, his what he called his mistress, you know, yeah. the, <laughs> making films, uh, not just making films, making films his way. Which, his way, exactly. Which is the right. only yeah. way he could do it. And he said, um, you know, he said in an interview once that, what asked, like, well, why don't you just sort of compromise your, artistic integrity a little bit when you make your films, you yeah. know, work with the producers, give them what they want. And he says, I can't do that. He's, he says, my films don't just become, uh, in, you know, inferior or, or lesser when I make them, when I, when I do compromise, he says, they don't work at all. Yeah. He says, my films collapse if they're not done my way a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I can see that because he's a very expressionistic, yeah. stylistic director and it's tough. The closest you can get, you can see, uh, uh, maybe there are other examples, but you can see that in the Magnificent Ambersons. Yes. You know, you can see what happens when he does compromise. His, I think the film is still a great, it, it's, it is. It still is not wrecked entirely, but there's just a, an incredible shift suddenly, you know, um, three quarters of the way, way through yeah. the movie where it suddenly becomes, okay, this is what happened. It's just, it's 
odd. It's disjointing. Yeah. It's just not no longer his movie. And um, so yeah, yeah, that's that's. And you could say the same thing about Touch of Evil as well. Yeah. Uh, if you look at some of the cuts that, that were released right after it, it was released into the theaters, that yeah. I know they they almost wreck that as well. Yeah. I mean, any great artist, whether it's painter. I mean, how do you, you know, I don't know. How can you get like, let's say, I don't, Bob Ross. You know. Yeah. Bob Ross took, uh, who obviously is a hotel room yeah paint uh, painter or what have you. You know, you you. you Bring him into someone else's work to interfere with, let's say, someone who is like, a, you know, a, a, I don't want to take anything from Bob Ross, but a real yeah. artistic visionary. Yeah. You know, it just it just doesn't work. It doesn't know, work with, with that that collaboration. Just could never. Happen. I always go back to what Wells said when he received the Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, he said something something again. I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember exactly how he said it, but uh, my films could have been better. They could have been, you know, they, I could have, you know, they could have been better. They could have been more. Um, collaborative, but they wouldn't have been mine. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And there's, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. That is and, true. And he was an artist in the true sense of the word. Yep. And we don't have many of those no. left no. that are that are that have the courage to to go their own way. That's right. That's right. And he's brought that to uh, his, his his roles as well oh, yeah. as an actor because he, he, you know, he he wrote some of his own dialogue. Yeah. That's certainly part of his uh, often part of his agreement taking the yeah. role. You know, can I write my dialogue? Which um, may sound presumptuous, or uh, but you know, really works. You know, let's we can get to the speaking of that, we can get to the Ferris wheel scene, yeah. which I think is one of the more striking scenes. Um, when he finally, you know, after he sees him in the uh, on the street, he meets up with him. Um, and uh, I don't know what what are your impressions of the Ferris wheel? Oh, I love it. Yeah, I, I want to travel to Vienna just to <laughs> just to go to that area. Which now, from what I understand, they they have third man tours in Vienna that you can go to some right. of the locations. That's fantastic. Um, that, that that they filmed it, but you know, it's the whole thing about the cuckoo clock is is you know, yes, it's, it's brilliant. The little uh, yeah, the speech, and, and that's Wells. You know, uh, Carol Reed and, and and Graham Greene didn't write that little bit of dialogue. No. And Graham Greene, to his credit, had the courage to allow him to yes. insert that in. That, yes. You know, um, that 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 I think speaks a lot about Graham Greene's character. Definitely, I heard at first he was um, not a fan of it. Yeah, like he wasn't a fan of the ending at first, but I think he was won over eventually yeah. when he see how it when he saw how that how it works. Um, yeah, and the fact that I mean, this just the idea that it takes place. Most of the scene takes place in, a, not you know, not just you know, beside a Ferris wheel, but they actually get into inside it inside it. Yeah, inside it. And uh, I think there's this idea of um, you know proximity and distance when, ma- when making absolutely a, deci- you know ethical decisions. You know, they're uh, above it all. If you re- you know, if you recall, and 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 when when you know Harry Lyme says, look at down there if one of those dots stopped moving would you really be you know would it really matter if one of those dots stopped moving yeah and isn't it true i mean it's it's sad but i think often our proximity uh, or distance does often you know uh, affect our connection or or our emotion even our decision making when it comes to things ethical it shouldn't yeah but it's often a, a reality. One of the things I like best about that scene is is right in the beginning when when um, when uh, Harry Lyme is walking towards him and he's walking with such determination. Yeah. Um, and he's dressed impeccably. Know. You know, that's one of the things that that I love about these films. Both Joseph Cotton and and Orson Welles, they're they're dressed. Oh, I know. It's just incredible. I know. Uh, the, the, the you know the, the costuming and, and goes to show how informal we've become. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, uh, but they look terrific. And, they really do. And I can't imagine Harry Lyme without a suit. I know. I just you know, yeah. and 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 the hat and yep. and yep. all of that. What I find interesting about the uh, the exchange on the Ferris wheel is. Um, you know, it's it's. Uh, I, I think for much of his dialogue, Harry Lyme is very. You know, he still has. He's always ha- always has that smirk that yeah. you know, I know something you don't kind of attitude or, you know, this tongue in cheek kind of um, approach, um, as if he takes nothing really all that yeah. seriously. But you know, for the first time, we see him get a little bit serious in yeah. the scene where he, where he learns that he went, he went to the police. That once uh, Holly involves uh, the police and, and Harry Lyme knows about it, that's when you sort of see him like get a bit serious. Like yeah. you, you shouldn't have done that. And doesn't he threaten his life? He does in the scene. He opens the door, uh, and and it gets uh, it gets a little 
uh, tense yeah. Uh, yeah. in that scene. And then he, he goes back to his jovial self. Yep. Um, yeah. Manipulating is really what he's trying to Only do. Only after he made the threat. Yeah. yeah. He made the threat really clear. Yeah. Um, Holly grabs onto something yeah. because he doesn't feel safe in there. You know, it, it, what kind of friendship do they have? You yeah. know, it, it, he, he knows darn well this guy is a killer. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to take a chance here. I'm yeah. going to hold on. And uh, but it wouldn't. It wasn't Harry's style to kill him that way. You know, it's no. it's it's he's it much more than yeah. It was a me- the message. Yeah, the message. Uh, I, I think you're right, and he's just he's much more manipulative. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's a more of a graceful violence than anything else. I yeah. think. What do you think he means by his little speech at the end? I'll I'll read it here real quick. Uh, Harry Lyme says, "You know what the fellow said in Italy for thirty years under the Borgias." They had warfare, terror, murder, bloodshed, but they produced Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, and the Renaissance. In Switzerland, they had brotherly love. They had 500 years of democracy, peace. And what did that produce? A cuckoo clock. <laughs> it, it's great. And, and right after that, he goes, so long, so long, Holly. Yeah. You know, oh, and, yeah, immediately. And it sort of takes off. I love that because for me, it's, it's really what – it's a commentary on art. And I've always yeah, – this is unpopular with a lot of my students, especially, but um, I think it's very difficult to make art, true art, when you're happy and content. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, that there has to be some something happening in your life. Right. Uh, some kind of tension there. Yep. And, and I think that this is really Wells making a comment. It's almost Shakespearean. It's like Prospero's, you know, uh, speech at, at the end of The Tempest. Um, you know, he's making a commentary on art, yeah. although it's it, it's a, in a different context. Right, right. Um, but, you know, things get done. Great things get done when the world is in strife, right. not when the world is content. That's very true. And it's something to think about. Yeah, it's very true. Um, like, I expect some really good punk rock within the next four years. That's exactly right. Yeah, some, <laughs> some great novels and you know, a, re- a renaissance uh, in, in American art. <laughs> That's right. So, um, and so the, the you know the plot thickens. We have uh, we have some killings. We have uh, you know Martin sort of learning the real deal, and um, so we have um, a chase scene at the end. Right. Yeah. We have a classic. You know. I guess a showdown in a mm-hmm. sense, you know. So Holly Martin's is put in the position of um, cowboy. <laughs> I think I really like how you 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 sort of categorize it as a chase scene because that's you know it, it's almost like a precursor to the Hollywood car chase scenes that that are so you know uh, they're everywhere. Yeah. Um, and but this is on foot in this sort of labyrinth uh, of the sewers. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's just leads. terrific. It's where it leads. And I think some of the stri- most striking uh, visuals come yeah. at the end there. It, I mean, I hope we mentioned it earlier, but I mean, obviously, visually, this this film is yeah. incredibly striking. It's, you know, uh, textbook noir. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, the expressionistic black and white uh, photography, which a lot of um, Wells aficionados or perhaps... Uh, just film fans in general will often will say, well, watch this film. They'll be like, did Wells get behind the camera at all yeah. in this movie? And um, you know, I think I think most people who do their homework and do some of the legwork will, yeah. will probably conclude that, no, this is – I mean, Wells himself did say, um, this is this is Carol Reed's this film. This is Carol Reed's film, you know, yeah. And, uh, uh, but plus, there are shots that look Wellsian. Very much so. I, I don't think you can deny the influence Yeah. Of, you know, so what films came before this one? Uh, this is 49. Right? 49, that's so right. So obviously you have, you have Kane, you have yeah. Magnificent Ambersons, you have um, um, the, uh, John and Blank, Lady Lady from Shanghai. Lady from Shanghai, yeah. Right. So you have at least three three movies that come before this. Yep. Um, and uh, what's the other one with um, John and Blank here? It's late. The one where Wells plays a, uh, a Nazi hiding out in America. Is that the journey into the into night? Oh, the stranger, the stranger, the stranger. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, the tro- no. Yeah, you're right. The, the stranger. stranger is, yeah, without Richard Robinson, but that might come after Forty Nine. Yeah. I can't remember I, when he did that. Yeah, but anyhow, you have enough work there. Uh, I mean, Wells did shake up the uh, yeah. the film world with with his visuals, and uh, there's a lot of this that does seem very Wellsian. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, you know, deep focus, all that stuff, shadow play. You know, it's 
But uh, Carol Reed was a, uh, you know, he was a, a skilled technician yeah. in his own right. So I, I don't think we should take anything away from him. But and maybe one of the reasons why this film is so successful and works is because Carol Reed must have been a strong presence, yeah. um, not to be intimidated by Orson Welles. Yeah, and Orson Welles didn't run rough shot over him. No, um, I, yeah, you know, other than that little bit of dialogue, which they had to approve. Yeah. Um, you know, Wells maintains that it was completely yeah. shot by, as you said, by Reed. Yeah. No, I've, I've, no, I've never heard any talk or any discussion about Wells uh, behaving poorly. No, you know, it, which is strange because <laughs> the other films, is, as you well know, you know, he wasn't the easiest person to work right. with if he wasn't the director. So he must have had a deep respect for, yeah. for Carol, Carol Reed. Yeah. Uh, one thing that really struck me as very Wellsian is the, the beginning. You know, on a couple of occasions, we, you know, Kane and the Magnificent Ambersons, there's, uh, it opens with, you know, almost like a, a montage yeah. sort of nar- with, with a voiceover narration. Yeah. In the case of Kane, it's a, it's a newsreel, but with Magnificent Ambersons, you have the, almost a, you know, a, a storyteller yeah. kind of motif going where you have a, a nameless narrator, um, over a montage of, of, of shots. And that's how um, that's how the third man begins yeah. with you know Cotton saying I I never knew the old Vienna before yeah. the war, um, you know followed by a quick editing style that Wells it was known to use and certainly went on to use going forward. Yeah. So I thought that was neat. Um, just basically kind of like just really grounded, and I think it's essential because I mean I think a lot of people on you know on a, you know in America seeing this film may not really know what you know the, yeah. the, the, the setting what was going on well, I, yeah I think you're right contextually it, it gives us all of the necessary information yeah. that Vienna is this place that has now been divided into quarters and, yeah. and there's nations that you know uh, that are in charge of administering and policing those those particular sections then there's you know the international zone yeah um, and it's it's very much a post-war mm. uh, film yeah just an inherently a very dramatic yeah. setting. I mean, it's how can it not be dramatic? You, yeah. know, you have these, you know, just a hotbed for you know intrigue, crime, murder, um, all sorts of things. It almost reminds me of you know how you know we talk when we talk about Casablanca, just just the inherent um, drama that would take place in such a yeah such a place. Uh, the world is still in shambles at this point, and yes. and there's you know again I think that this is a very American uh, theme, but there is a, a certainly a lawlessness to it. Yeah. Um, there's, it's almost feels like a border town, yeah. you know, that, that they're yep. existing in now. Yeah. Um, and these borders are continually fighting with one another for, and we see this played out between the Russian, the Russians and, and the British, you right. know, with the, with the passport and, exactly. and, and all of that. So I, I think that was a conscious decision on, right. on Reed and, and, and Graham Greene's part mm-hmm. to, to play that out. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, just interesting angles, of course, yeah, with, yeah. uh, with, uh, Reed's cinematography, you know, just. He loved the uh, the canted angle. Yeah. He just, uh, in fact, uh, I read that William Wyler, his uh, his close friend, actually uh, sent him a leveler. Oh, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> through the mail with a with a note saying that uh, you know, Carol, next time you make a picture, just put this on top of the camera. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll be all set. You know. So, but I think it, it does it does work. But you know, he he was not making a conventional film, Calvary, and he's to his credit, he was. Taking uh, yeah. some risks because uh, this this really could have went you know went sour on him. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, we're right in the the golden age of Hollywood yeah. where there was some clear expectations of how films should look, you know, and he uh, he didn't roll with that. No, it would have been a very formulaic film otherwise, yeah. and and it yeah. it might have been popular, but I don't think it would have stood the test of time in the way that it does now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Um, Let's talk about the um, some of the, some of the noir themes that I think translate into this film. You know, when you compare it to American noir, you have the you know the ambiguity of everything which we yeah. discussed, and we have the the urban decay of the cinematography, right? Um, and we have this you know the protagonist and the law enforcement sort of like you know butting heads yeah. along the way. The lone detective, you know. Right. 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 But I think uh, the ending really plays a part in this overall um, this overall vibe that we get. And the, and the ending is, I think, a very interesting, very risky way to end a film. And uh, from what I've read, um, Carol Reed did butt heads with 
Selznick uh, on how to resolve this thing. And, um, you know, <laughs> Selznick was uh, uh, paraphrasing, I think, one of his famous memos where he said, uh, you know, for once can we just have the, 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 the woman and the, the man embrace at the end and you know, they live happily ever after, but that's not at all what happens. Yeah. You, know, you have uh, uh, Joseph Cotton lighting a cigarette and, you know, um, kind of walks by, yeah. and, you know, and uh, she walks right past him, uh, past the camera. With As the, the leaves are falling. I mean, it's yeah. very, in the, in you know, coming out of the graveyard. Yeah. The, the, it, it's almost comical, the symbolism that's, that's, yeah. that's apparent. But uh, again, I think it's, it, it works. It's to be taken seriously. Yeah. I mean, what, what do you think is being communicated there? I th you, you know, it's a, it's a good question. The, the guy has no future. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, uh, and I reserve the right to change my mind next time I watch it. <laughs> but I, I think that, you know, his future is, it's, it was never there. He was, he's not going to be the hero. It's just not a role that, that he was born to play. Yeah. He tries to force it in the film, and then at the end we see he's just not – he's not going to be that guy that gets the girl at the end. It's always going to be Harry Lyme yeah. Uh, yeah. or people like Harry Lyme. Yeah. And as sad as that is, most of us are in the Holly Martins category. You know, We don't have the charisma that a Harry Lyme has. We don't have the courage. Yeah. Um, to do okay. some of the things that he did, as reprehensible as they were, they still take courage, and right. uh, and a lot of us, um, for lack of a better phrase, are, are afraid to to break the law just right. because oh, we're yeah. afraid. Right. Right. Um, exactly. So it keeps us honest in a way, uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, and perhaps I don't want to say that the film is suggesting that honesty doesn't pay, but um, nice guys don't always finish, That's you know, right. it, it, it first. So. Um, I think it's, you know, that I think is, I see Graham Greene, uh, his, his fingerprints all over that. Um, sure, sure. The character of Holly Martins is, is, is a true Graham Greene character, um, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that, you know, it's the person down on their luck that's never going to, it, it's a re recurring theme throughout his books. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, let's backtrack a little bit to the, I think it's an interesting scene where he uh, somehow finds himself at that, um, that book club meeting. Oh yeah, he just sort of wanders. I love that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I almost, uh, I don't know, feel that's like um, Graham Greene's little commentary on uh, perhaps what he. I'm, you know, I'm totally jumping to conclusions here. Perhaps a little commentary on uh, what he probably saw as uh, maybe some literate pretensions of yeah. uh, the literary world yeah. and academics uh, specifically. Yeah. Right. But I, I found it interesting that they took his writing that seriously, yeah. which sometimes happens. You know, yeah. something that is not taken seriously on this side of the pond is often viewed as great art over yeah. in Europe, you know, and uh, he wanders in there and he has no idea what he's yeah. going to say and people clear out. I found it to be a little comic relief there. And, and one of the, it's, it's really interesting how someone in the audience asks him, uh, about modernism and James Joyce, uh, yes. and and he he has absolutely no idea, how <laughs> uh, and he brings up Zane Grey, and and uh, you know I forgot the actor's name who plays the person who brought it all together, but he said ah he's joking he's joking Graham Greene or uh, Graham Greene <laughs> Zane Grey was a a hack Western writer, which he, you know Zane Grey was a hack Western writer, but so uh, yeah. yeah you get a little bit of of, of Graham Greene sort of. Um, I'm a true artist, almost yeah. in, in that sense. Right, right. So uh, what about the the choice that the actress, and perhaps collaborating with, with Carol Reed at the end, uh, walking past Holly, she's very what, cold. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can perhaps even interpret it, her uh, demeanor to be almost maybe uh, covering up for some sort of shame, perhaps, of continuing to love such a man as Harry, as Harry Lyme. It's, it's interesting. I, 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 I viewed it a couple of times now recently, mm -hmm. uh, and I showed it to a class last year and I'm now starting to think that she realizes at the end that she was a pawn that she's been used. Uh, and, and uh, for me, it's a very sad way to look at the ending. Um, from her perspective, um, this is a, a woman, Anna might not trust men again 
because yeah. of the people she found herself involved with, right, right. Um, that they really used her. And, and this is not to say that, you know, I think that Harry Lyme did care about her, but only so far as it was useful to him yeah. or convenient for him. Yeah. Um, but did she love her? But yeah. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. And, and Holly may have thought he loved her, uh, but it was probably more the idea of love that he yeah. got caught up in, the yeah. romance of it all. Sure. So really, she doesn't come out, for me, she comes out the victim yeah. uh, in, in a major way. So. And we don't know what's going to happen to her, if yeah. the Russians will pick her up again. And certainly now she's in their sights, um, so it's not safe yeah. for her. Right. So it's a world that is is you know that we knew, or the suggestion there was that it was not a safe world. But there was relative safety with her. Mm-hmm. And now at the end, she's completely alone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Holly began the film alone. So it's not really... At least to me, it's not that surprising that he ends up alone. And I think it's true to his character. For her, that's the, for me, the tragedy is is Anna at the end. What is, what keeps her from going with Holly? Do you think is it is it could it be shame? Could it be? Uh, it could be. You know, um, here's another American who wants to control me, or another male who yeah. wants to control me. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe the shame comes in that, you know, in, in a way she depends on males. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's males who, who forged her passport or allowed her to stay in Vienna for the time that she did. Yeah. Um, so th- there could be some shame in that. Yeah. It's really interesting that you mentioned that because it, I've been thinking a lot about uh, women authors and women characters recently um, because of what's going on in our own world. But perhaps, you know, this is a commentary on... on, on how women are portrayed yeah. as the victim, because um, yeah. yeah. she could have she could have become much more of a strong character. I think, not that she isn't strong at the end, um, because you could argue. I think that it takes strength to keep moving on. That's true too. N- to not rush into into the arms of Holly Martin's. Mm-hmm. Uh, that maybe at the end she's resolved to be her own person. Yeah. So I suppose you could see it very positive in yeah. that sense. She's asserting her own autonomy Definitely. in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very happy they didn't decide to have them. Live uh, that it would have it ruined the whole film. Would betray the whole movie. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Well, I think uh, we'll call this an episode. All right. Um, this was fun. I, uh, you know, yeah, it's one of those movies I, 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 I saw for the first time a long time ago, and just uh, I, I pro- I've probably only seen it about maybe five times. Yeah. Five times in its entirety, and it's 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 one of those films I've, I've loved and I'd love to see more. Um, but, uh, I haven't seen it on the big screen. I would love to see it yeah. in one of those old movie houses, you know, yeah. with the giant screens. Right. It would be great to see. The Brattle Theater. The Brattle Theater, yeah, yeah, yeah for example. I would be surprised if they, they um, show it there. But um, So, yeah, well, uh, thank you for joining me in this. Thank uh, you. Another film, Noir Classic, in the books here. So um, I want to thank everyone for uh, tuning in, listening in. And uh, please, 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 we'd love to uh, hear your thoughts. If you could... Uh, Jump on to our Facebook page uh, by looking up the Classroom Critics and uh, join the discussion. And by all means, go on to iTunes and look us up and uh, rate us and uh, spread the word. We'd love uh, for more people to uh, talk about some of the great films we have the privilege of discussing. And uh, we'll do our best to provide more discussions going forward. But until then, uh, Andrew, on behalf of Andrew uh, Martino, myself, um, Bill Ivers, from Southern New Hampshire University. (laughs) Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye.